Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are special and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Hey friends, you're listening to episode number 94 of the Inspired to Action podcast and today we have the honor of chatting with Sally Lloyd-Jones. Now, Sally is the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible and the new version of the Jesus Storybook Bible that just came out. It's called The Story of God's Love for You. Now, if you do not have a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible in your house, I cannot recommend it highly enough. We love it at our house. Just the way Sally weaves together the story of the gospel through every book of the Bible is so powerful. So today, not only do you get Sally's wisdom, but you also get her amazing accent. And I don't know about you, but I love listening to a good accent. So today's interview was an absolute treat. Now, I want to say a huge thank you to our show sponsor, PlanToEat.com. They are an online meal planning service that makes my life so much easier. Now, especially as we have the holidays coming up and the new year just around the corner when we're going to want to be eating healthier. Most of us probably have something like that in our goals. Can I just say meal planning can make all the difference? Just knowing what you're going to eat ahead of time instead of going for the most convenient thing can make a huge impact on your health. So if you have not already checked out plantoeat.com, head over to plantoeat.com forward slash inspired to action. And I have a short video for you and they'll give you a free 30 day trial. And then coming up here in January, I'm going to be taking you guys through a live boot camp on how to get all set up on plan to eat. Now, I do have my pre-recorded version. Uh, it's called mealplanningbootcamp.com. And if you're just raring to go, you can go ahead and sign up there and walk through it. But I'm going to be going through that live in January so that as you have questions, I can answer them right away and we can kind of just all go through it together in one week. And I wanted to wait till after the holidays so that all the craziness of the holiday season can get behind us and you'll have time and energy to focus on getting your meal planning in order for 2016. So go ahead and head over to plantoeat.com forward slash inspired to action, get signed up, and then I'll keep you notified as to when exactly we're going to be doing that in the month of January. Now, I also want to say a huge thank you to one of our very special podcast listeners. And um, every week I try to give away one free Inspired to Action planner to someone who leaves a comment on iTunes about the Inspired to Action podcast. I just love hearing how the podcast is impacting you guys. And I wanted to point out Marissa Anderson 12 today. She says, I've learned so much through these podcasts. They offer such amazing yet practical wisdom for mothers who desire to raise their children as Christ followers and leaders. And just as the title describes, not only have I learned a lot, but I've been able to put so much into action. So Marissa Anderson 12, send me an email and I will send you a copy of the Inspired Action Planner. It's the perfect time of year to get your organization and your calendar 
all put together so that you can be ready for 2016. Now, we're about to dive into our interview today with Sally Lloyd-Jones, but I wanted to mention that she has been super gracious and is giving away a couple copies of her new book, The Story of God's Love for You. So in order to win one of those copies, I would love for y'all to tag me on Instagram. Take a picture of how you're listening to the Inspired to Action podcast, and then just tag me on Instagram. I am inspired to action. So it's pretty simple. And I would love to see how you're listening to the podcast, maybe include something that you've learned from today's episode. And I'll include you in the drawing for today's giveaway. Now, without any further chatter, let's get into our podcast today with Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hey, Sally, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Kat. I'm so glad that you get to be on the show. And I'm sure I would imagine in the first five minutes of any interview that you do with a podcaster from the U.S., probably Mm -hmm. one of their first comments is, I love your accent. Yes, it comes in very handy, and I decided to keep it. (laughs) You you get to sound clever whether or not you are, just by having an accent. Well, you you know what? That is so very true. (laughs) I did um, a coaching session once with someone, and for some reason I always felt, even though I was the one coaching, I -hmm. felt like the one that should be asking the advice because she sounded so incredibly (laughs) knowledgeable. Yes, just because see, of her accent. It's quite helpful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'd love to do, I know so many of my listeners have the Jesus Storybook Bible and are very, very familiar with it, but I wonder how much they know about you and your story. And so I would love just for you to tell us a little bit about why you have your accent, where you grew up and that sort of thing. Well, I grew up, uh, actually, I was born in Africa, which you wouldn't necessarily know from my accent. And um I was born in Kampala, Uganda, uh, to young parents, the oldest of four little girls. And um, so my first four years of life were in Kampala, then Nairobi. And so I didn't come back to England till I was about four. So why Africa? So, you know, the, the best story, which most people think is my dad was a missionary or something like that. But no, he worked for Shell oh. Oil. <laughs> but it was at that, in that job, that a colleague was the one who led him to the Lord in terms of he caught, you know, my dad was raised in, he's Welsh and he was raised in chapel. So he'd been around church all his life. And yet there was something about this man that just caught his eye, you know, in terms of he was just a, an excellent person, I suppose, that my dad respected. And yet he was a Christian. So he was smart and yet he believed all this stuff. And that colleague invited him to hear John Stott when John Stott came to East Africa and my dad went with him, heard, he turned to his colleague and said, how is it I've, only, I've never heard this before? He'd heard the gospel, but he'd never heard it. And he became a Christian there. So that was, that was that. So I really love the fact that he's, he worked at Shell. Yes. Well, say. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. We often think of somebody going to Africa to share Jesus. Your dad went to Africa and got Jesus. Yes, exactly. And it was, I also love that story because it shows you when you're in the place that God has you, regardless of what, you know, you may be working as a missionary, you may be working in a church, you may be an excellent businessman. It's there that God will reach other people. It's from your place that he's put you. And so I always love to tell that story because there was this oil executive Mm -hmm. and it was his witness that reached my father that led all of us in the end to Christ. So I'm so grateful he didn't sort of say, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to be in business anymore. I love that. And just think, uh, do you, do you still stay in contact with that man or is he? Yes. Yes. No, he's my, 
he doesn't he never had children he never had daughters so in fact he is one of the people i i acknowledge in the jesus storybook bible he's in that big paragraph and his name is hanmer and yeah he's my he's probably i think he was the first person i ever met as a little tiny child I loved him so much. I probably just fell in love with him completely. And but and yet I think the reason was partly because probably that's how I first met the Lord through him because mm-hmm. my I, parents weren't believers at the time. I love it. I mean, so he was an oil executive in Africa and a believer and maybe, I don't know, but maybe somewhere mm-hmm. in his head he was thinking, I really wish I was doing something big for yes. Jesus. Right. And now and think would, of the exactly. millions of people around the world impacted. I know. It's really, it's very, and I have other friends who've, who fed into my life and I, you know, and Tim Keller, you know, mm-hmm. Hammer, this guy. And I think, and my, of course, my parents, they were the ones, I, my dad led me to the Lord. He probably, his life, you know, he, he was in, a, he was an exec, oil executive too. He later became a non-stipendary minister after, he, when he was converted, mm-hmm. he, my dad felt called to the ministry, but he completed his whole career in because he felt that's what the Lord had for him. And it was only after he retired that he then became full-time sort of non-stipendary minister, which means you're not paid. Mm-hmm. So he would preach and everything like that. And and so you look at all these people who fed into your life, and you know in your own tiny story, in the big story, how much you couldn't have done anything of what you did, except, and then I think of my grandparents, all their prayers. Now, their lives were very modest. My, 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 grand, my Welsh grandfather was a bank manager, you would never look at their lives and think you could easily judge that on the outside and say, well, you know, yes, I suppose. But the truth is without their prayers, I never would have done anything of what I've done. Mm-hmm. It's all fed into what I, and so I, I know when we get to heaven, the legacy of those people is going to be huge. And I'm just, it's going to be so wonderful to be able to celebrate together. And I often think the people who've had the most humble life mm-hmm. that on the outside looks like nothing it's only when we get to heaven we're going to actually see, wow. It's sort of like, you know, in The Great Divorce, Sarah Smith. Yes. I love that story because she, in, in, in life she was a char lady. Yet in heaven she's this great celebrated person because of how God used her in the position she was in. Well, and I love that you share that story because I know right now that there are moms listening who think, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they gave up a career in banking or in yes. oil or in some place where they got a lot of praise, a lot of recognition, and mm-hmm. now maybe they're staying home with their kids or they took a, a smaller job so that they I could know. spend more time with their kids and they feel like nobody notices and it's exactly. not making a difference. But in reality, you know, like you said, maybe in this life it's very humble. But mm-hmm. in heaven, you know, yes. it's just cheers and um, the impact that they'll be making is so powerful. I love and that. I, I really agree, I think. And it's, I sometimes think as well, I have friends who they're planting a church their church doesn't ever seem to grow so on the outside they can judge it as it's not successful mm-hmm. and yet i see from the outside that okay first of all they're dealing deep relationships it's going deep it may not be the numbers but god doesn't work with he's always doing the opposite he works with very small he always chooses the very small the very weak the outsider the one everyone says is not important is the one that he chooses and so for people like it's the mum at home who's who's feeling like she, what is the point? She's not doing anything. She's wasted her life. I mean, and then feeling terribly guilty for even thinking that. Mm-hmm. And yet that's just human, isn't it? I, I mean, I have sisters who've, who've said that to me. 
for them to realize, yes, but what we don't see is what God's up to through the faithfulness of saying yes to him in the day in, day out hard life of serving children. That's very mm-hmm. hard work. Mm-hmm. And we don't know, do we? We only get glimpses of what God's doing, but it's going to be such an incredible, I think we're just going to be so overcome because whenever you get a tiny glimpse of what he's doing, we're always blown away, aren't we? We're just like, oh my word, can you imagine? Well, multiply that by a thousand or million that's what he's going to show us about what he's done in our life every single minute. And if our lives change one life, why do we think that's not a success? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, he is God. He doesn't need us to be great. He can no. be great through us with yeah. however many people he ne- needs us to influence. I love that. Mm. And I think our definition of success, we have to change that word. Yes. We have to say it's about being faithful it's, it, because it's about him. All we're given is what we've been given to do, and we just our job is to do that and not compare ourselves and say, well, that person's successful and I'm not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No. But that's harder. That's hard to do. It, yes. It's, well, it goes kind of to the, to the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's, it's not kind of what you'd expect. You know? No. It's topsy-turvy, mm-hmm, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So you, you spent the first few years in Africa, mm-hmm. and then you went back to England? Yes, and then we went back to Africa again. We went to Freetown, Sierra Leone, and I I was at a school there, an international school for a year, but I wasn't thriving because I was a not very good at school type of child. I was too dreamy and was staring out the window and all that kind of stuff. So my mom and dad saw that I wasn't thriving, and yet there they were in Africa. So again, it was interesting. It was Hanma's parents, the same man who led my dad to the Lord, um, who said, well, we know of a really beautiful boarding school. And so at eight, when I was eight, I was sent from Africa to boarding school in England. Now, that sounds really barbaric and awful. But in fact, that school was incredible to me. It was the perfect school for me because it celebrated imagination. It, it just, and it's probably partly why I'm a writer because it's so vivid in my head still to this day. So it was very hard to say goodbye. And I used to think, all my problems in my life stem from the fact that I was sent away when I was eight. But now, having got older, I think, you know what? I think that was God equipping me to do what he had for me because I needed to be independent. I needed, you know, I'm the only one of my family that lives in America. They're all living in England. And I sometimes wonder, well, I suppose that pre- that was part of my training mm-hmm. to be ready for what he had for me. So I've, I'm grateful to have that perspective. And I've actually thanked my parents for sending me. So that's lovely. So was, I'm curious to know, was it a Christian boarding school? And, you know, just curious to know how you grew in your faith going off well, to boarding school. Well, I yes, that's a great question. It was, it was Christian, but probably you could have looked at it and thought it was a bit dodgy, hmm. you know, because they would do things like have the um, Last Supper up in the barn and we'd all have wine and bread. I mean, but me, for me as a child, it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. It brought it to life. So I... Because I remember it as a child, I think I, whenever people question things like that, I remember it and how meaningful it was. And I was a Christian that I can't see anything bad in it from the child's point of view. So we did little baptisms in the river. You know, it was very, it was sort of like the world of imagination and the world of the gospel. And Jesus was my best friend. It was sort of a very sweet time. And I I know that, I, I mean, I became a Christian when I was four. My dad led me to the Lord. But when he first he came home one after some missionary conference and said, 
because this woman had said that she'd invited gone to her little daughter and said darling would you like Jesus in your life and the daughter had said yes and it was all so lovely so my dad came home and said to me I was cycling around on my tricycle and he said Sally would you like to invite Jesus into your heart and I went no thank you (laughs) and tricycled off but the reason I tell that story is I love the fact that as a four-year-old I I knew what I was doing Hmm. so I said no first and then of course later that I, I prayed with my dad by the bed I remember that at least I remember I think I remember it or I remember what he tells me of it and became a Christian but it what I think is so important to know is a four-year-old child knows and can understand the gospel and as far as I can ever remember Jesus was my best friend mm-hmm. so later yeah later it you know God was more difficult for me I kept thinking he was quite cross with me mm-hmm. he was more of an authority figure but Jesus I understood he was my best friend so it wasn't the typical boarding school that a lot of us listening probably picture in our heads. It sounds like it was so much more creative and imaginative and not yes. just some sort of strict. No. And not, yes. It. And I'm so grateful because it really celebrated. And it was there that my the teacher I first, the first my first teacher who told me I could write was there. Mm. So the whole experience was just, and it was in an old boarding school called Manor House, and it you know it was magical in terms of all the hidden passageways. I mean uh, that's exactly what you imagine. It's everything you would possibly imagine. I mean the same train as you see in Hogwarts. All that exact. I mean I think she must have based. I mean those old trains that go from King's Cross. That's exactly the train I went to school on. And you all wore your uniform and you all you know it was all very. Um, now it seems very Dickensian, mm-hmm. but it was all very exciting. So and it was the Manor House owned by it was rumored to be the Bramhurst Court in Te- Thomas Hardy's Tess of the Durbervilles. Oh wow. But also the best thing of all was that it was uh the house that belonged to Dame Alice Lyle, the last woman beheaded in, in England. Oh wow. It's Isn't so, that so cool? You were we just loved sur- all that. Rounded by history and stories. Yes, exactly. So and I that's I feel like God's graciousness, he prepares you for what he's calling you for. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know um how did going to boarding school impact your relationship with your parents? Um, I think it made me, well, I, you know, there was a sense in which going to school was being heroic. And I think that was, I remember again, praying by the bed with my dad just before I left to go to school. And, you know, it was very traumatic. I just, I still, I still have problem. I mean, everyone does, but I think sometimes I'm, the problem of saying goodbye is so huge in my head. I mm. think that comes from that place. And when I was eight, it was so upsetting to me. So we prayed by the, and I thought, I think also because I knew my mom was so upset, you know, mm. her children soaked that in. So I was praying by the bed with my dad and he gave me the verses from Joshua 1. So I sort of had this sense of heroism. Like mm. I, I really knew, even, you know, a little eight-year-old going to school had a sense in her head that it was like Joshua going into the promised land be very brave and very courageous. I felt like that's, it was God promising. And I just, that kind of breaks my heart to think God is so gracious to speak to an eight-year-old and make her know this is heroic what you're Mm -hmm. doing. And now I look back and I think, well, it was because Mm -hmm. that's kind of scary, but it was all part of his plan. And now I look back and I think in a a very real way, it was me going towards the promised land because it was part of God's path for me. And, um, so I, I think it's very dangerous to do black and white. It was bad. It's bad if you do this as parents. It's good right. to do this. I, I like parents to know 
for instance, my mum at the time was torn apart by that. It was much harder on her. And from in my teenage years and early 20s, I sort of blamed them. I didn't say it to them, but I, in my heart, I was like, oh, can you believe they would do that to me? But now I've come around to seeing, by God's grace, that it was his hand that plucked me out and put me in that school. And I thank my parents for being so self-sacrificial mm-hmm. that they would, they would do that for the benefit of my education. Uh-huh. So I just want parents to realize, you know what? The children may not understand it, and what you're doing, they may not understand for many years. But if you're doing what God's called you to do, it's going to work out. That's so good. And, you know, and I think in our culture with social media and people just sharing their opinions so freely, it's easy for parents to think that there is one right way to do something mm-hmm. and that everything else is wrong or that if they share how they're doing something, mm-hmm. that all the opinions of everybody else matters. But ultimately, they just need to to do the thing that God has called them to. And I love that, you know, a lot of times a mom will say, I just had the worst day. I'm sure I ruined my kids today. Yeah. Um, but the the reality is, is that, man, God, there's grace for all of that. I'm sure it was so hard for your mom to do that. But, but it's just incredible to be able to now look back and see all that God yeah. has done through that. And I would even say, when if a parent says, Oh, I've messed up my kids. I'm like, good. You're supposed to. That's you're not the rescuer. Mm. You're a human being. You're a sinner saved by grace. And God chose those children to be in your family. And unless you were messing up, you wouldn't be helping them. I mean, I think the the main thing is how you say sorry, how you a- admit you're wrong. If you if the child never has that model, that's much more worrying than if you seemingly do everything perfect Mm -hmm. because there is no such thing only jesus is perfect Mm -hmm. and you know i had that with some my nieces and nephews they were going through a very hard time and i was hating the fact that they were suffering and i was doing all these anxious prayers and i felt the lord saying this is the fall and you're not the rescuer Mm -hmm. and this is part of my plan because all you have to think about is how many people do we really like spending time with who've never suffered the people who suffer mm-hmm. are the ones we love best. That's mm-hmm. how the light is through the cracks that the light gets in. That's Cohen said that, didn't he? And I just think there's grace even in the fact that we are sinners. God, that when, since when did that stop him? I mean, look at Joseph and his brothers. None of that stopped God's plan. In fact, he made it more beautiful as a result. So I, not that that's license, but I just think we have to give parents grace because there's so much, so much pressure. I, that is on parents to do it perfectly mm-hmm. as if somehow you can give a child a perfect childhood you can't i love that i, I i'm i'm so curious to know so mm-hmm. you you went to boarding school you i kind of at some point i want to go back and talk about how you became a writer um mm. but I, well actually we, let's do that first <laughs> and then um, I'll ask the next question. I'm just so i'm just so fascinated by it but uh, so a quick journey to, to how you became a writer and why children's books so I have a friend who also he is he works in Cambridge and he's a writer and he also started life in Africa and then came back to England his take on it is that when you start in one one culture and then in childhood you're transplanted into another or maybe not just in childhood but especially for thinking about children's books that that makes you a writer Hmm. the other thing I've heard is that you need Some people say you need a kind of a wound in childhood. And that goes back again to in our well-meaning attempts to make everything perfect. Are we actually working against what God's doing? Because 
he uses wounds to bring fruit and great things. Not that we, we seek them. <clears throat> but anyway, I, I think the combination of being in a different culture, being transplanted back to England, back to Af- Africa, boarding school, being sent away when I was eight, that was a great wound for me as a little girl. And I think those two things probably went to making me a writer. But I always, from when I can remember, loved nonsense. I loved making people laugh. When I was about seven, I, I read Edward Lear's The Complete Nonsense. Mm-hmm. And I ha- it was a revelation because anyone who knows that book, it's filled with limericks and he drew his own pictures and it's completely mad and funny. <laughs> and I thought... I didn't know you were allowed to have so much fun inside a book. I thought books were very serious and you you know and I always felt like I wasn't very clever. So this book suddenly opened something up in me. I just was like, "Oh my word." And then my English teacher was reading us Shakespeare and Donne and we were learning how to write sonnets and that opened something in me. And I think the combination of all those things combined and I I just loved writing and I did I didn't know what I would end up writing, but it's funny because at seven I was writing, I was having fun inside books, but I was doing my own limericks, I was doing little drawings. And they say, you know, what you were doing before you became what you think everyone else thinks you should be. So around mm. six or seven, when you were just being you without any self-consciousness, is often a little hint as to what you should spend your time doing, maybe as a job or as a hobby, but it, it tells you something about the true, your true joy. And it's taken me all these years. It, and it wasn't until 2000 that I started writing as a living. And it took me all that time to realize, oh, wait a minute, what I was doing when I was seven, that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yes, yes. I love so, it. <laughs> but it was actually when, my, to answer your question about why children's books, I like children's books because I love the combination of illustration and word. And I had a training in art history, so mm. that appealed And when I had my first job at Oxford University Press, I I was working as an editor there. I was working in the school textbook division, which was fine. And I got great training, but it was down the corridor that I heard all the laughter coming. And it was from the picture book department. And I thought, hmm, I like the sound of the laughter. I love pictures. I love words. So that was another puzzle piece. But the other puzzle piece, so so that was beginning to start. I thought, I think I oh, I would never be good enough to write a picture book, but I'd love to work on them. And then my nephew was born, and suddenly I had an actual child. So instead of thinking about children's book as a sort of general thing out there, I actually had in my head, I'm like, well, what would I talk to Harry about? And instead of it sounding like writing, it suddenly was just me talking to children. And that made all the difference because I got out of the way. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what... The Jesus Storybook Bible and the story of God's love for you sounds like. It sounds like a conversation. But mm. the thing that really blows me away the most is how accessible it is, but how deep and rich and, I don't know, if poetic or rhythmic it is at the same time. And I'm curious, did you set out to do all of those things with it? Is it just kind of who you are? Um how did that come about? Yeah. Well, to be honest, uh, when I started the Jesus Storybook Bible, and just so people know, the story of God's love for you basically came about because I wrote a children's book that adults were reading. Mm-hmm. And we finally got felt sorry for the children because they kept having their copies stolen. But we thought, <laughs> okay, we'll do one for adults and we'll call it the story of God's love for you so they can enjoy their edition and it won't have the pictures so that any adult who feels 
embarrassed to read a children's book, which I don't think most would, but it opens up that. Anyway, so when I say Jesus Storybook Bible, it's the same text, mm-hmm. but in yeah a new form. So when I first started the Jesus Storybook Bible, I, I didn't have my mind, I didn't know what I was doing, which is often what happens with a book. You know, a story is interesting. You start thinking, you know, at least for me, I don't always have the great vision yet. I start and I show up. And it's halfway through researching that book that I actually feel like I was given the book. Mm. And that sounds kind of weird sounding, but that's how I, I really believe the story is there and you discover it. And your job is to get out of the way. And I think through researching all, you know, I was doing a a class on the progress of redemption so I could understand all the connections between all of the stories so I would never leap from... Because I think often in Bibles, it's like the story of David, then we leap over to another story and we're, we're talking about Jonah and then we're the nativity and none of them connect. Right. So I knew I had to know the connection. So I did that class. It was like 40 tapes. Then I was listening to sermons. I was soaking myself in all of this and kind of working out an outline. And it was halfway through that process that one day, all I can say is the day before I was saying, I'm going to do a good job. This will be okay. And then I'll move on to my next book. And then the following day it was, wait a minute, if I give this everything, this will be amazing. And from then on, my imagination caught fire and I, my whole goal was to write it like a novel, write it so that it couldn't be put down and try and paint a portrait of Jesus through every story so that the child could meet Jesus in the pages of the book. Mm-hmm. And I think the story was so moving to me that, you know, Frost said, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. And I think that's what the difference was. I think from that moment on, I was so powerfully moved by this incredible story that I just, it just came. And I think there's a mystery to writing. You you write, they say you write your first draft and then you write your second draft to find out what it's about. Mm. So you're almost, to me, it's like you're writing on one level and your subconscious underneath is writing on another level. And that's when the story is much cleverer than you are. So there are things in the Jesus Storybook Bible that I feel like, oh, that's a sub- I didn't know I was going to write it when I wrote it. And then uh-huh. I'm like, wow, that, that's too clever. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and it's just that's the wonderful, that's what makes writing so wonderful and so mysterious. Well, I love how just um, you said something about a picture and just the words that you use and the way that you still the t- tell the story, it's so descriptive. We have the um, deluxe edition, so it came with the audio oh, CD. So yes. we have it in our car and listen to it all the time. And we had a kid in our car the other day, one of my son's friends. And he had been in our car, I think, the week before going somewhere. And he got in. And as soon as he got in, he's like, can we watch that video that we watched last time? And we have a DVD player, but we don't really ever watch video. So I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. And I realized he was talking about the audiobook, and I was just like, that's wow, it beautiful. was so vivid to him that he believes that he was watching a video. Oh, that, that is, you know, you can't beat that. No. And I would, I'd want to tell David Suchet, who's the one who read that, because it's a lot to do with how he reads it, because he's a master of storytelling. And, um, but that's really beautiful, because that's what you want, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, the... Really, the truth is the book comes alive in the mind of the reader. Mm-hmm. And the words paint a picture, but it's the, the reader. You have to, a good book leaves so much to the reader. It, a, a boring book does all of the work for the reader for them. So you couldn't ask for a nicer comment. Um, so the story of God's love for you, what's your, 
your vision for it. I know you probably couldn't have ever envisioned everything that's come of the Jesus Storybook Bible. <laughs> no, nothing. At, yeah, and it's good because I would have been so intimidated. I already, <laughs> I already was intimidated. But yes, the story of God's love for you, it was a, early on when a friend of mine who's in the business and publishing read the manuscript. It was in manuscript form, the Jesus Storybook Bible. She said to me, and she felt really strongly, she said, you need to put this out in an edition that you call it the story of God's love for you because the story is for everyone. But right now, because you call it the Jesus Storybook Bible, you've got barriers up. So Mm -hmm. someone who's Jewish or someone who's Muslim, it's going to be very hard for them to even open up the cover because you've you've put these barriers. But if you take away the barriers and you call it the story of God's love for you, which is what it is, then you're going to be able to reach a whole new audience. And you've made it, you've just made it so much more accessible. And so I loved that idea. And I, and I knew we needed to make it so beautiful. It's, and it's beautifully designed with a gorgeous cover and mm-hmm. gorgeous type design. And each story ends up being about three pages. So it suddenly becomes this resource to someone where you, it could be a devotional, it could be something you give to anyone because it's not threatening. Mm-hmm. Nothing about it is threatening. And because there aren't the illustrations, it's, it makes it um, slightly cheaper. It also makes it not so, you know, because if you give someone a children's book, a lot of times it will happen that the person will think, well, who do I know who's a child? Oh, I'll give it to them. And they don't necessarily read it. So right. so that was our vision was make it so that every already adults love it. So why not make it easier for more adults who might? And I just want, especially at the time we're in right now, people, children need to know they're loved, but so do grownups. Mm-hmm. And... You know, yes, everything is awful in many ways when you hear the news. You, you you can get very frightened and things are very scary and terrible suffering and we don't understand it. And and so I think we have to be sure that we're, we're sharing the good news that, yes, we don't understand it, but we do. what we do know is that there is a God and he is Lord of everything and he loves us. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand any of this, but death doesn't get the final word. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what, especially with Christmas coming up, Mm -hmm. I love this book because it's a way to share Jesus with people, particularly grownups, in a way that doesn't seem preachy. No. Um, You know, it's a book that anybody can read. It's not a book about theology. It's not a book convincing somebody about Jesus with logic and reason, particularly. It's a storybook that anybody could pick up and just read a couple pages, stick it in their purse, read a couple pages. Um, yeah, exactly. It's just, I don't know, it's just a, such a great, it's almost like a giant tract, for lack of yeah. a better word. You know? Well, it's very, it is, a friend of mine just bought like 23 and made me sign all of them and then apologized, but I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> I'm so happy to sign because I, you know, because she was suddenly thinking of people that she could give it to who, mm-hmm. and she was thinking of people who were struggling, anyone in pain, because who doesn't mm-hmm. need to know that God loves them? And, you know, when I wrote the book, it was coming from a, a real passionate belief that I, none of it should be about, I've got to be good for God to love me. Because, you know, a lot of people, we all think we know what the Bible's about, and it's not good. We think it's, we've got to be good and then God will love us. Or we've got to be brave like Daniel and be thrown to lions, be okay with that. Or God won't love us. Or mm. if he's not loving us, he's, at least he's, he's not pleased with us. And that's so not true. And I just thought there's so many people out there who don't know 
what the beauty of this story, that it's not a book of rules and it's not a book of heroes. It's a rescue story and it's a love story about a God who will move heaven and earth to be near his children and won't ever stop loving them. Well, we never hear that, do we? That's not the picture of the Bible that we grew up thinking. And I, I hate for, at least I want people to have the chance to hear what the real story is. Yes, in, in such an accessible way. I just think that's so, so huge. You know, it's a book that people who own businesses or whatever could just leave on, you know, in their, in their sitting area. And with the, with the title, The Story of God's Love for You, who doesn't want to pick that up? Yeah, it's not about the theology of whatever, whatever. It's the story of God's love for you. Well, I want, I want to I know. know about that. And the truth is, we, you know, story is so powerful. And the other, that what I say a lot of times when I speak at different places is that the story is so powerful. You don't have to add anything to it. Story in itself is a powerful medium. Jesus, every once every three in every three times he he taught, he told a story. Mm-hmm. And he didn't summarize and he didn't add points and he didn't say, well, what this is about is this, because that kills the story because mm. a story is like a seed. And so what I love about telling a story is it's up to God what he does with it and it can work. It could work as a seed years later, but at least by by sharing the story, you've you've sent the seed out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's all we're that's all we're called to do, isn't it? You know, you mentioned speaking, and before we wrap up this conversation, mm-hmm. I have to ask you about Amy Grant. Oh, yes. Yes. Who'd have thought it? I know. I did a I, – I found myself in concert with Amy Grant. I love to say that. Okay. That's and, like uh, just a dream. I know. Okay, I need I to hear all about it. Dream. So it came about because we were – I was at a – I was like the last link in a chain that got Amy to do a retreat a while back, like two years ago in the, in the Texas Hill Country at a wonderful place called Laity Lodge. Oh, yes. You Have you heard of that? Yeah. I have. So I go there a lot and I speak there and I'm part of, I, I love it there. And it was there that Amy, so she agreed to come, which was a big, and because I was the last link in the chain, I got to come. So it was three of us, me, Amy Grant, and Ashley Cleveland, who's also an incredible musician. We led a retreat on story. So we all shared our stories. Amy and Ashley did music. But the tradition there is on a Sunday, Saturday night, they the musicians do a concert. So I was walking through the fields, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, and I said to Ashley and Amy, so what are you doing tonight at the concert? And they both went, no, no, you're part of the concert. And I'm like, well, I don't sing and I don't dance. What am I doing? And they said, you'll be reading your work. And so we just did it like that. That was that spontaneous. And it was Ashley would sing, I would read, and then Amy would sing, and we'd go round and round. And the thing was, none of us knew who, what, what anyone was going to read or sing. So what you had to do was listen to the song and in the moment respond with a reading. And so I would read excerpts from the Jesus Storybook Bible or Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, which is the devotional. And it was, and then Amy would listen to me reading the devotional and would sing a song that came to her heart to respond. So it's this beautiful in the round type of thing. And we loved it so much, they agreed to come to New York last February. And then in New York on Park Avenue, we did a concert. And we had maybe 700 people, and it was a whole mix of people. It was children, it was all kinds of, like, a lot, and a lot of outsiders, people who would never come to church normally. So it was very, it became a kind of evangelistic, very gentle song and music storytelling evening. That sounds amazing. It was amazing. And um, the other thing to say is Amy Grant is so humble and the real deal. So that's always encouraging, isn't it? 
So I have to know, one, are you guys ever doing this again? Or two, is there a recording anywhere available for oh, purchase? That would be lovely. No, we didn't have any recording, but we have talked about doing it. And of course, Ashley and I, as you could predict, we're eager, ready beavers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> trying not to be too keen. But, you know, if I end up on a tour bus with Amy Grant, I'm going to be so obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> All my friends are like, oh, no, that'll be awful. And uh, So anyway, we... That we are talking about it. So I really, I would love that because to me, it felt just as natural as writing to read your work mm. and to be part of something so beautiful. And I, I realized what's lovely is I didn't ever realize this, but songwriters and someone like me who writes picture books, we're doing very similar things because we're distilling down to the essential. We're not dumbing down, right. but we're telling a story in very minimal words. Plus it's very lyrical both. And we're working with two different mediums, you know, a story told in two languages for me, it's a image and word. For them, it's it's music and word. Mm -hmm. So, sort of makes sense. Well, if you do um, another round of those mm -hmm. concerts, I think Waco, Texas, is an excellent stop for you. That would be <laughs> I love that sound of that. Yes. Um, okay. So, where can people get the story of God's love for you and the Jesus Storybook Bible? Well, they're in all good bookstores bookshops um if you can't find them in a bookshop my website is sallylloydjones.com and it, they're all available there so and right now we actually have a giveaway um i think um which i don't know if well, when this is our podcast is going out but um that's an advent giveaway awesome of, yes yeah. it should it, it should go up in time for that so i'll include the link to that okay, in the show great. notes yeah excellent wonderful yes. Thank you so much for oh, taking the time. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm, well, you made it easy. You asked great questions. Oh, thank you. I'm going to try not to uh, head out to my family and, and speak with a British accent because I tend to do that after <laughs> uh, I hear someone well, speak. So I'm, I think you're allowed. Well, it'll be, it'll be a very pathetic British accent, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm not very good at American accents, so that's all right. <laughs> well, Sally, thank you so very much. And thank I hope you. you have a wonderful wonderful holiday you too thanks so much cat all right bye -bye. okay bye-bye well that's all that we have for today's episode of the inspired to action podcast thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen i know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now and i hope that this episode has encouraged you you know if you have any questions or suggestions for me just head over to inspiredtoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you would take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. is quiet But I've set aside this time for you I bow before the throne of a noble king And in this place my heart begins to sing It's
on a big God day, a God day filled with His grace, His grace and sweet new mercy. May my thoughts. 